Exodus chapter 6, and this evening we'll begin in verse 14 and we'll end in Exodus seven thirteen. I don't know if you had the opportunity today uh, to see the inauguration of President Bush. Um, I did. Um, I asked the Lord for, you know, permission, and he, <laughs> he gave me permission to watch it. But, you know, one of the things that I noticed about his inaugural address is that primarily it consisted of a, a speech regarding freedom. He, I guess, fills senses as we, as in a country here in the United States of America, have been given the privilege of a life of freedom, that we now have a responsibility uh, to spread that freedom. And I was thinking about that, and again, that's politics, that's physical, that's earthly kingdoms. And then I was thinking about the study today, and even if you look at the book of Exodus, and what you'll see is that's really what's going on spiritually. That God has given us as his children freedom. And with that freedom, he's given us the responsibility, the privilege, the accountability, the most incredible uh, mission in life, and that is to spread freedom to others. Because there are so many in this world that we live in that find themselves caught right in the middle of the world under the influence of Egypt, locked and in slavery and in bondage to the world. And God gave you freedom. And with that freedom comes a responsibility, much more than a physical kingdom. You know, I don't know really how that works in the politics of this world, the United Nations, the United States. That's a different issue. But the spiritual issue, that I know. And that's what God has called us to. And as we go through the book of Exodus, there's a, so many things here. I don't want to lose sight of the, the big picture. The big picture is this. God is strong. And just like Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and there's that sign that Christianity is true, God in history set his people free. When they were there with no hope against all possibilities in the human world, God flexed his muscles, and through the plagues and the signs, and through his strength and sovereignty, he set his people free. And that's an undeniable fact, and the Jews always have that as their, you know, resurrection sign, knowing that God is alive. And that's the big picture. We see that. We must not lose sight of that. But also, we have this character in the Bible. His name is Moses. And God used him like, man, no other man. I mean, through Moses, this mediator, God, you know, raised up a deliverer. And he set his people free. And I just want to encourage you tonight, as we go through the study, to keep those two things in mind. The Messiah who sets his people free and the mission that you are engaged in in life. God wants to use you to set people free. It looks impossible. In all reality, it is a mission impossible. But it is, by God's grace, something that you and I can be engaged in. And we'll see just an incredible thing in this life. We see, first of all, the the mediators in verses 14 through 27. And then in verses 28 in chapter 6 all the way to verse 7 of chapter 7, we see then the ministry. Principle of mediators, principles of ministry. And then we'll see in verse 8 through 13 the principle of miracles. And in this we'll see how God can allow us to be engaged in uh, the, the mission, impossible. 
It says in verse 14 that these are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And so you see here, he begins with the genealogy, first listing the families of Reuben, then the families of Simeon. Now he moves on really to his main point, and that is the families of Levi. He says in verse 16, these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, not Ferrari, Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were 137. Now notice that first time we have someone's age in this genealogy, okay? Verse 17, the sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi, according to their families, and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron and Uziel, and the years of the life of Kohath were 133. There's a second time we have someone's age in this genealogy. Verse 19, the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. That's a cool name, huh? (laughs) These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. There's a third time. Final time we see it in this list right here, the age of an individual. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And the sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And I already said that. And the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife. She was a, a one who was in the lineage of Judah there in the lineage of Christ. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah were Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel as wife. And she bore him Phinehas. There's a good guy right there. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. Now, I know when you read through that, and sometimes even when you look at, you know, maybe Genesis 46, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and other places, Luke 3, Matthew 1, you look at the genealogies and you wonder, why does God list all these names? What's this all about? Well, we know this. Jesus said every jot, every tittle is inspired. Every dotting of the I, every crossing of the T, every small grammar point is inspired. These are all here for a reason. God has a purpose. You know, when you study the history of the ancient cultures, and especially the Jews, you find that they kept their genealogical records, man, the best that they could, because they were so important. To those cultures, it was kind of like our social security system. Through those genealogical records, they'd be able to identify you as far as, you know, where you would be in the political kingdom, where you would be in the religious taxation, Through the genealogical records for especially the nation of Israel, they would be able to determine the descendants of the Levites and especially those of Aaron because they were set apart for God. And when they went into the promised land, according to the tribe that they were involved in, the land would be divided appropriately. 
And more than that, in the Jewish race, the genealogical records were kept because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would one day come through that lineage of Judah and through the lineage of David. And so they kept their records. And you look at this and you wonder, well, yeah, we see this. Maybe Joshua added this later. We don't know. Maybe Moses himself put it there. But God is the one ultimately put it there. And he put it for a reason. And there really is an emphasis here. And really what the emphasis is, you guys, is the, the mediators. The mediators, the, the Levites, the descendants of Aaron, even the descendants of Korah, we'll see later. What the descendants of Levites were, and we'll see it in just a moment, were they were the mediators between God and men. They were the ones that would actually do this work that God had called them to in setting them apart. We see a phrase that's kind of set, you know, these things clear. We see in verse 14, it says, these are the families of Reuben. Verse 15, these are the families of Simeon. Now, we believe the only reason they mentioned Reuben and Simeon is because they were the eldest. And by genealogical etiquette, they had to be mentioned. But really, what he wanted to go to is this guy in, in verse 14 named Levi. Okay, now we're where we need to be. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. We see the same thing in verse 19. These are the families of Levi, according to their generations. Verse 25, these are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, according to their families. So what's up with the Levites? What are they all about? What's their agenda? What's their calling in life? And when you study the Bible and you look over in the book of Numbers, you find that the Levites were set apart as servants of God. They were the priests, so to speak, especially through the lineage of Aaron. And we'll see that in just a second. And that's really, I think, what God wants to emphasize at this point. You see, you guys, what's happening in verse 14 of chapter 7? You want to know what's coming? Judgment. Judgment is coming. The plagues are coming. You know, God's wrath and war will be exercised on Egypt. And so before we get there, in order to avoid all that, we'll see in the big picture of the Bible, there needs to be mediators. In this case, we'll see Moses and Aaron were the mediator. They were the deliverers. Who would deliver them from the wrath? Well, there had to be the mediators. And we see, I think, the emphasis here in this section of Scripture as God sets apart, first of all, the Levites. The Levites were individuals that God had raised up. They were set apart in order to serve God as representatives of really what was known as the firstborn. If you read the book of Numbers, chapter 3, verse 39 through 51, he talks about that. And he specifically says that because I spared your firstborn, I want to sanctify this tribe of Levites for me. They will be for me. That's really the way they were. And so they served in the tabernacle. They conducted the priestly duties. The Aaron, you know, descendants of Aaron were there as the high priest entering in and offering those sacrifices. But really, they were set apart for God in order that they would be able to not only serve God, but serve the people. As a matter of fact, later, the Levites were assigned roles, teaching and interpreting the law. And so God here obviously wanted to draw our attention to the lineage of the Levites, the priests. 
Why? Because they were the mediators. We'll see that in the history of the Jews. And I just, as we begin today, I want to share with you in a sense, in a limited sense, that you also are mediators. You're not mediator with a big M, but you are mediators with the little M. You are there. God has called you. God has placed you in certain places. Because sometimes, man, you're the link between God and that person who needs God. If you'd be willing to set yourself apart for God. If you'd be willing to obey 1 Peter 2 verse 5. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says you are a priesthood. You're a chosen generation. You are priests. You are Levites, so to speak. You guys are mediators. And as we know, man, that the plagues are coming. The judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Just like I was talking to one of the sisters today. You know, heart for her friend who's dying and about to slip into eternity. Where will they go? Heaven or hell? Well, now we see that this individual here is willing to be a mediator. An individual who's willing to stand in the gap. And as we look at this, I think that's the emphasis. First of all, God wanted to draw our attention to the Levites. Secondly, God wanted to draw our attention to the lineage, not only of the Levites, but also of the high priest. And really, when you look at this, you see that Levi is mentioned and his name is given. Kohath is mentioned and his name and age are given. Aaron, Amram is mentioned. Aaron is mentioned. Eliezer is mentioned. Phinehas is mentioned. And all those guys were high priests in the kingdom of God. And God wants to draw our attention to that because ultimately we're going to see this, you guys. God wants to draw our attention to the mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, that there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And whenever you study the priests, and whenever you study the high priests, and whenever you consider the plagues and the judgment to come, Please remember that the one who averts all those plagues and all those judgments is Jesus Christ. And so God here begins this whole work. He begins now to set apart the the Levites. He begins now to set apart the descendants of Aaron and Eliezer and Phinehas. There they are. And you look at them and really when you study the genealogical records of ancient civilizations... One of the things you'll find is they're not exhaustive. They don't have every single name. As a matter of fact, if you were to read Numbers 3, you would see there are over 3,000 Kohathites already. And so not everyone's mentioned here, but the ones that God wanted to mention are mentioned, and some of them are very significant. Some of them really are. When you look really here at the lineage of the high priest, one guy that's kind of significant is that guy by the name of Phinehas in verse 25. That guy was a a pretty neat guy. When you read the book of Numbers, chapter 25, you'll find that what had happened was the children of Israel were seduced by a plan by the name of a false prophet named Balaam. He couldn't you know, have God curse them because they were God's people. So what he did was he had the woman of Moab seduce the men. And in that sin, the Bible says that God's plague began to fall on the people. God's plague up to the point where we see 20,000 are dying, you know. 
And what ends up happening is one of the men of Israel, he comes, he you know, flaunts this girl in front of Moses and he goes into the tent to have a sexual relationship with her. And so what ends up happening? Well, this guy Phinehas was consumed with the zeal of the Lord. And he goes and he takes a spear and he runs into the tent and he thrusts them both through. And then according to the Bible, that is what stopped the plague. That's what averted the plague. You read that in the book of Psalms, also chapter 106, verse 30. And, and you look at this and you wonder the significance of all these guys' names. And, and then I stop and think, what's my legacy going to be like? Phinehas is a good example of really the responsibility of the Levites, the responsibility of the high priests. See, God can use our life to stop the plague. He really can. You know, you, you think, no, not me. And, and we'll see later, yes, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves. But please understand that as we go through the study today, moving towards next week, the plagues that are coming, before we get there, the calm before the storm is this, an understanding that there is this principle of mediators, the Levites, the high priests, a guy named Phinehas, a, a guy named Eliezer, a guy named Aaron, a guy named Moses. Some of the Korites, the, they were right on. Some weren't. And there's that legacy. And I think God wants to draw our attention to that. Some significantly pleasing, that mediators, you know. And one thing I did want to mention to you is that, you know, there's no neutral ground. Jesus Christ said, you're either for me or you're against me. And, you know, you look at Eliezer and you, you look at Phinehas and you think, man, that's the kind of legacy I want to leave. I want to be a mediator for good. But then there's also a guy right here. His name is Korah. And he was a bad mediator. He was, a, you know, a link between <laughs> Satan and the people. And if you read the book of Numbers, chapter 16, he mustered up an incredible rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And you read the whole story there, and he had the elders on his side. And he had these 250 significant men, and they were coming against Moses, against the work of the ministry, Korah's rebellion. But then we see the Lord dealt with that, and the earth opened, and it swallowed him up. God dealt with the rebellion. But it's interesting to me that Korah's name is mentioned. What will the significance of your name be? What will your legacy be? Will you be a mediator for good? Or will we be a mediator for evil? God draws our attention to the Levites. He draws our attention to the descendants of Aaron. He draws our attention to the lineage even of Korah. And it's kind of interesting to me because when you read the Bible, Korah did have some surviving descendants and they ended up writing some incredible psalms by God's grace. But the man himself finds himself even today in, in hell, in Hades, waiting for the final day of judgment. I pray that as we live this life, that you and I would understand that we are mediators. And small m, you know, there's that limited sense in which God says, will you stand in the gap? Will you care enough for that person who's dying and going to hell? Or are we, you know, so many times distracted and caught up with our own agendas, our own life? When all along people are slipping into eternity. God wants us to know 
you know, the, the things that are significant. Another couple of guys that are mentioned here as descendants of Aaron and Amram are these two guys, uh, Nadab and Abihu. If you read the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, it talks about them offering profane fire before the Lord. And as they did that, the Bible says that God killed them. And so, man, you know, I think about that a lot. I I don't know about you, but I do think, Lord, what will be my legacy? What will my children say about me? What will they know about me? Lord, how will I live my life? I I think I want to be, Lord, a mediator for good. And as I see the examples here, I see the testimony. I see it etched in history. Lord, I pray you would help me to be a mediator of good. The lineage of the Levites, the lineage of Aaron, the lineage even of Moses and Aaron. We see that here as it's mentioned in verse 25. It says, uh, no, in verse 26, these are the same Aaron and Moses. Moses also being a descendant of Levi. You know, and some people may have wondered, well, where did Moses come from? Wasn't he a prince of Egypt? And here the historian records, no, he was a Jew. He was a descendant of, you know, Amram. He was a descendant of Levi, which probably explains why he was not only a prophet, but in a unique way, he was kind of a priest. And that he would stand before the people. He would stand before God, having that, you know, ministry there. We see the lineage that God wants to point out. But I think, again, as we go through the Bible, especially us, you know, we have the New Testament revelation. We see that all these are just shadows, huh? They're just shadows of the substance. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says that in Hebrews 8.5, Hebrews 10.1, that all this is just a shadow of the substance. The substance is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the one who has saved us from God. He saved us from the wrath of God as he died for us on that cross. The love of Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of the shadow. He is the ultimate mediator. As you read the Bible and especially as you go through the book of Hebrews, you'll see that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. You'll see that he's, you know, Levi. He's Aaron. He's all these guys, in the sense, the fulfillment of them. And as he's the high priest, the Bible says that he's passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. It says that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. But here's the difference, you guys. See, in the Old Testament, the high priest had to go in repeatedly and offer the sacrifices. I mean, daily they would offer the morning sacrifices. And, you know, they had their rituals, their ceremonies. It never ended. The high priest of the Old Testament, through the lineage of Levi, Amram, Aaron, Phinehas, Eliezer, all these high priests had to do it constantly. And the high priest had to do it every year on the Day of Atonement. There was never really a forgiveness of sins. There was only a covering of sins. It was a kofar. That was the mediator of those days. But if you read the book of Hebrews... It says we now have a mediator who purged our sins and has now sat down 
at the right hand of the majesty on high. It says that in Hebrews 1.3. It also says in Hebrews 10.11, In every high priest, he stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, the ultimate picture here is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I pray we would never forget that because I know it's really easy to do. Sometimes you'll be reading about a miracle that Jesus did and you'll have all these side applications. When in all reality, the main application is look how great he is. And let's worship him. And that's what we see here now. As the plagues are about to begin, God just coincidentally mentions the mediators. Why? Because he's the ultimate mediator. We see that. And in a limited sense, so are we. I pray that we would be willing to be God's hands, his arms outstretched, reaching out to the people who are in bondage. We move now from the principle of mediators to the principles of ministry. Because God is going to use Moses and Aaron to set these people free. And look what it says in verse 28. It says, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And so the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell you, Pharaoh, to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. By great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. You know, I pray uh, for you guys, for myself, that we would catch the the vision, that we would uh, receive and you know respond to the invitation. God wants to use your life as a mediator between him and all those people who are in bondage. And if you'd be willing to say yes, then okay, now there's something else that we need to grab hold of, not just the principle of mediation or mediators, but now some principles of ministry. And it's so important as we read the Bible to, to learn you know, some of the basics of ministry. And here we see some things that really are like foundational teachings if you want God to use your life. And the first thing we see is in verse 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass on the day that, that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Here it is right here, I am the Lord. As you endeavor, as we desire to be used by God, it has to begin with that fundamental truth of who God is. Who God is. Here we see the Lord telling them that he is 
the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That was how he revealed himself in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, as he said, I I am. Speaking of his self-sufficiency, his all-sufficiency, his immutability, it's the way he revealed himself in the book of Exodus chapter 6. He said, I am the Lord. I appeared in verse 3 to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. See, as the Lord begins to commission us, as he sends us out on that mission impossible, here's where it begins. It begins with the knowledge of God. What's his name? Who is he? How is he? What's God like? And that really has to be the foundational element. A lot of times I think we kind of get it backwards and we begin with who am I and what am I supposed to do. We kind of lose track of God because we got our eyes on the work. We got our eyes on ourselves. When in all reality, if we would simply stay focused on God, he's going to just incredibly use your life. The more you know God, the more you know his names, the more you realize how much... You know, he has this unfailing love for you. I mean, how good he is, how great he is, how gracious he is. He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's willing to forgive. The more you know God, the stronger you'll be in the ministry. I encourage you, man, to, you know, spend time in the word, to continue to come to Bible studies and to make sure that you're very God-centered. Because a lot of times we can be man-centered and we're always thinking about me and what I have to do. And yes, there is a responsibility that we have. But you and I will never be able to fulfill that responsibility if we don't know first who God is, how great he is, how wonderful he is. As the Lord begins to send Moses on the mission impossible, man, he says, I want you to know this, I am the Lord. And as we've already discovered what that name means, it's the great I am. I am whatever you need. Moses, when you're there on the, you know, the sea, you've got the mountains on this side, the Egyptian army behind you. You've got the you know, impossible and you're surrounded by your enemies. Guess what? I am the one who will pave the way for you to walk through the Red Sea. I'll drown the Egyptian army. And when you're there in the dry and thirsty land and there's no water, you can't see anything, you've got two million people complaining, I am the one who will bring you water in the desert. You know, whatever you need, you need shoes? Guess what? I own, you know, what's that, Skechers, man, you know? I'll keep you shooed for 40 years in the wilderness. Whatever your need is, I am the one who will provide your need. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I will see to it. I will provide for your needs. I'm Jehovah Shalom. I'll give you peace even in the midst of the most difficult trials of life. You know, whatever your need is, I am, you know, the one who will carry you through and give you that job and provide for your needs and heal your body. Jehovah Rapha, if that's my will, I am the one who will give you guidance and direction. I'm the shepherd. I will lead you. I love you. I'll take care of you. If for some reason you ever get you know, yourself into a position in trouble where you've strayed from the flock, I'll, I'm the type of shepherd that will leave the 99 and I will go and search for you. See, we need to begin in the ministry with an understanding of who God is. And we need to continue in the ministry with a growing knowledge, with a deeper knowledge, with an intimate and personal knowledge of who God is.
You know, as you walk with Jesus Christ in your life, just in life, man, you'll find that it'll blow your mind, you know? One day he says, hey, let's go fishing or let's go sailing. Hey, you guys go on the other side. He gives you the directions. Whatever your responsibility is for that day, he told his disciples, hey, you guys go to the other side. And as they're going and they're sailing and all of a sudden they find themselves straining and rowing. And there they are struggling, you know, and Jesus Christ then begins to come to them and he walks on the water. He walks on the water and you're there, you know, another time Peter's there and he's thinking, Lord, is that you walking on water? And Jesus says, yeah. And then Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. And then Jesus said, come. And then Peter began to walk on water. Think about that. I would be so cool. I mean, I've never even gone skiing before. I want to. And I heard some people can ski barefoot. But think about it, man. Walking on water. And then, you know, he begins to look at the waves and the wind. He begins to think about the logic of this whole thing and he begins to sink. But then he gets back into the boat. And there's this one time where he gets back into the boat and all of a sudden, boom, they're at the place where they are supposed to be. And it's like, wait a minute. Who can this be? Uh, all these miracles, feeding the thousands, calming the storm, walking on water. And as they were there living their life, completely abandoned, sold out, willing to you know, abandon it all for the sake of the call, as they were there leaving their nets behind, they discovered how great Jesus is. And that was what they needed to know in order to continue for the next, you know, life that God had for them in the ministry. That is what God desires, you know. That's the foundational element, man. To, to know who the Lord is. That's why Jesus said when he was about to leave, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who's with you? The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that helps when you go, huh? Because it helps to know, well, the Lord is with me. Well, who's the Lord? Well, he's the one who has all authority. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so we live in this world, we see people who are dying. We see kids that are suffering. We see families that are in this calamity, right? And your heart goes out to them. Like Jesus, you see them weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And because you have a, you know, just an inkling of the love of God inside of you, you say, I want to be a mediator. Okay, I want to be a mediator. Then you begin to say, okay, well, the next step is this. I, I got to learn the ministry. What's the ministry? Do I need to go to, you know, this Christian school to learn the ministry? Do I need a degree in theology? How does it work, you know? No, you just need to know God. That's how it starts. We need to know the Lord. Man, it's so important that we walk with him. And begin to know him. G. Campbell Morgan said this. The supreme need in every of difficulty and depression is a vision of God. To see him is to see all else in proper proportion and perspective. 
It begins with who God is, and then it continues. Very important, you guys, very important in the ministry with what God says. And that's what we see here. The verse tells us in 29 that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. As you want to be involved in the ministry and as you have that heart for the lost or for the hurting, the broken, then, you know, it's important to know who God is and it's also very, very important to know what God says. That's what we call the Bible. That's what we call the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, what does God say? Because really, we need to understand this. God has called us to be distributors, not manufacturers. He's called us to give to the people what he first of all gives to us as we feed on the word of God and the truths of God. As we receive not only the meat but the manna for the people, then God wants us to hand it out to them. And that will help them and enable them. And God simply wants us to say what he says. You know, something real fascinating to me just blew my mind. And we know Jesus Christ is the model of the ministry. But even Jesus never said a word that the Father didn't, first of all, put in his mouth. And when I think about that, I just get totally, you know, flabbergasted, whatever that means, you know. But I'm like, man, how careful we need to be to make sure that the counsel that we give to the people that we love lines up with the Scriptures. How careful we need to be and how much we should desire to really know what God's word says, what it means and how it applies to my life, to their life. Because really, all Moses and Aaron were supposed to say was what God told them to say. And that's what we see here. The Lord said, you know what? Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And he had told that to Moses from the very beginning. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses had asked, you know, what shall I say to them? You know, God had given him that commission. Moses asked, well, how does it begin? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, well, this is who I am. This is really what you need to say to them. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, he says to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. In the same chapter, verse 30, And Aaron spoke all the words, notice, which the Lord had spoken to Moses. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 6, God told them, Therefore say to the children of Israel, And God gave them the message, same thing in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, these words. And that's so important, you guys, in the ministry. To know who God is and to know what God says. You know, that's really the bottom line. Jesus had said that I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. John twelve forty nine. Now, sometimes it's not easy, you know, 
to give the interpretation, really, of what it's all about. I remember Joseph, when he was in prison, these two prisoners with him, they had some dreams. One was a good message, one was a bad message. One was going to tell this guy, the butler, you know what, you're going to be restored, everything's going to be fine and dandy. It was a very comforting message. The other message was this, in three days you're going to die. And sometimes that's hard to say, you know, because a lot of times we find ourselves in this society that we live in. People only like to hear the good message. They like to have their ears tickled and they don't like to be convicted and they get offended very easily. But, you know, a faithful messenger, a faithful prophet, you guys going out there in the world, we don't have that luxury of saying, well, I just want to make them feel good. We have a responsibility to tell them what God's word says. Well, you know, if, if you continue in the unrepentant sin and you, and you know, and this is after all the warnings of love and admonition, you're, you're, you're going to die in your sins. Well, that's not very loving. Yes, it is. You're trying to save them from hell. And if that's the word that God puts in your mouth and you need to say it, See, we have responsibility to speak God's word like Ezekiel, the watchman. God said, if you don't say the warning, then if they die in their sins, you're, you're responsible for their blood. But if you warn them, your hands are clean. You see, God gives us the principles of ministry. And one of the main things is to know who he is. And then secondly, to know what his word says. And that's why I really encourage you guys. You know, the Lord is so cool. He's so gracious As you begin to walk with the Lord and you first become a Christian man, he uses you and he'll put things in your mind and it's like, wow, you know, the Lord is so awesome. But, you know, as you continue to grow, he's really given you a responsibility to know this book, to know it better than, you know, how, uh, you know, to work at work or to play your sports or, you know, the tips on using your computer, all the toys and gadgets that you have and you're studying on how to master them, whatever it may be, the hobbies that you have. More than anything else in life as a Christian, God wants you to know this book right here, that you may be used by him. That's the principle of the ministry, God's word and God's spirit, the tools of the ministry. And you you give God's counsel and you watch people change. God will honor us. God will enable us if we determine to say what he tells us to say. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.9 that the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And no matter who you are today, you may think, No, not me. Yes, you. He will put his message in your mouth if you'd be willing to be that vessel. The principles of mediation, the principles of the ministry, know who God is, know his word. Number three, know who we are in a sense. And that's what happens next. We see in verse 30, but Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Know who God is. Know the word of God. Know, you know, what he says. And then thirdly, know who we are. And in this case, there's a couple of things that I think are taught here. Number one, we are unable 
And number two, we are unworthy. Notice that phrase right there. Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Now, as I went through the commentaries and I did some studying on this, there's a couple of possibilities, but in a sense, I think they're almost simultaneously true. Number one, he was unable to speak. Uncircumcised lips, untrained. And that's kind of something he had told the Lord earlier. I can't speak. I'm not able to do this. And that's a good place to be in the ministry, to be honest with you. I I can't. I, I am unable to do this. And if we have that mentality, then we're right, as long as we don't linger there for too long. If we don't linger there in an unhealthy way, then, you know, we will actually come away with a good principle here. As we go through life in the ministry, I pray that you and I would acknowledge that we are completely inadequate and insufficient to have any spiritual contribution to the heart of another person. I don't have what it takes. I don't care how many times I went to school and how to be an orator or a speecher or whatever they are. You know, what type of education doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I went to college and I discovered all the administrative skills and the organizational skills and the educational principles. That will never make me able to have a spiritual impact in God's kingdom, something that will really last. I have to be like Moses in that sense and say I'm of uncircumcised lips. I, I don't. I can't do it. You know, Moses here probably did this for a little too long earlier, but you want to know what's cool? He'll never bring this up again. This was the last time. And it doesn't mean that, you know, in the future that he never acknowledged that truth. It's just that he'll acknowledge something greater, that with God he's able to do it. But this never goes away. I will never reach a point, it doesn't matter how long I've been in the ministry or been doing this or that, teaching, whatever. I will never reach a point to where I can do anything on my own. But I won't be talking about it all the time. I mean, I'm talking about it right now because the Bible teaches it. But, you know, I shouldn't be in the back afterwards. Oh, I can't do it. You know what? Get your eyes off yourself, man. We already know that you can't do it. As a matter of fact, it's pretty obvious you, (laughs) you can't do it. But God can do it. It's his word. He honors his word above his name. Okay, I am unable. That's what Jeremiah said. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah couldn't do it, but God could do it through him. And man, let me tell you, he did. God used Jeremiah to to bring down nations. God used Jeremiah in a tremendous way, even though he was just a young guy. God can do it. We can't. Here we see even, it's kind of interesting. Look at verse 7 of chapter 7. And Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron, 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Man, let me tell you, they weren't able. (laughs) And I know in those days, ages were a little different. Moses is going to live to be 120. Some of his ancestors lived 137, 133 years. It was a little different, but he wasn't a spring chicken, right? He wasn't like this young guy with all that strength. It was just obvious to everybody, man, that this was totally the Lord. Moses, Aaron, they couldn't do this. It's never our ability, our education, our experience. It's never our money, our charisma, our voice, our looks. Man, you know what? There's no confidence in the flesh. That doesn't give us any spiritual advantage, you know? We need the Lord. And that's really, you know, my prayer. And I pray that's your prayer in your life, man. Is God in it? Is God in what you're doing? 
You know, without God, we might be able to draw a crowd, but we'll never be able to disciple a congregation. Without God, we'll have a social club, but we won't have spiritual people. You know, we need God. Um, The Bible says, Psalm 127, verse 1, one of my favorite scriptures, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, that watchman stays up in vain. And so, you know, you can labor all day and you can stay up all night, but if God's not in it, then there is absolutely no spiritual significance to it. Without God, it's just a speech. No one's getting fed. And that's why people will not grow unless God is in it. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Oh, we can do something in the earthly realm. But we can do zero in the spiritual realm. And that's what we see here. The first thing, unable. God doesn't need geniuses. He doesn't need brilliant men and women. He looks for humble, surrendered vessels who say in their heart, I am not able, but I am available. And also, I think this means unworthy. I, I think it also has that, that, that you know, side to it. Uncircumcised lips, you know, because if you compare it over to Isaiah chapter 6, that seems to be the same mentality there. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. He said, man, I'm going to die. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. I have sin in my life. I'm unworthy. I'm about to be toast. You know, God's going to zap me right now. And we need that mentality in the ministry as well. The principles of the ministry, know who God is, know what his word says. Know who you are. Number one, you're unable. Number two, we're unworthy, and we will always be unworthy. We'll never reach a point to where, okay, now I'm really consistent in my walk with Jesus Christ and now God can use me. No, because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best we can do is filth. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in this flesh, in this sin nature, in this soul that I possess. And so in a sense, it's good to acknowledge that. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. You know, we are unworthy. Now, that doesn't mean that we should go ahead and sin since, you know what, I'll never arrive again because, you know what, God will see your heart. And the Bible says this, in the great house, there's vessels of honor and dishonor. He who cleanses himself from the latter will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, prepared for the master's work. How does it work? I don't understand. All I can say is this, God looks at your heart. You'll always be unworthy, But he looks at your heart and he says, well, are they a type of person that abuses my grace? Are they a type of person like Paul wrote to Timothy and said, be strong in the grace. And that's where you have to get alone with the Lord and ask him. You know, Isaiah was unworthy and he acknowledged it. He acknowledged it. He saw the holiness of God. And so what happened? Well, the Lord sent an angel. He got the the, the coals from the altar and he brought it and he touched his lips and then he was clean. I guess they had problems maybe cussing, I don't know, lying, gossip. You know, lie, we can 
Maybe they had problems even eating. Who knows? You know, you can do a lot with these lips. What's your problem? Maybe you have something that today you need to surrender. And God says, well, if you're willing to acknowledge it, if you're willing to confess it, if you're willing to stop playing games and pretend that, you know what, you can hide it from God, if you're willing to just be open and real, then the Lord says, hey, man, I'll take that sacrifice and I'll wash you clean and then I'll lift you up. And then you'll hear a voice. The Lord will be saying, hey, who will go for us? You'll hear that. And you'll have the grace to be able to raise your hand and say, here am I. Send me. I'd be willing to stand in the gap for that need. That'd be such a blessing. We always have to have that mentality. Paul the Apostle grew in that mentality. You know, when he first started in the ministry, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15.9 Then as he continued in the ministry, it says in Ephesians 3.8, he said he was the least of the saints. But then we finally read him writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 that I am the chief of all sinners. You know, one of the things I find that as you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the closer you get to God, the more you realize how far away you really are because he's such a holy and awesome and loving God. But at the same time, man, you're just striving to live a life that would put a smile on his face. That's what God wants, the principles of the ministry to be embedded and burned in our hearts. Who he is, what he said, who I am. I'm unable, I'm unworthy, but also I'm called. And that's what happens right here. The Lord said in verse 1, Moses, you know what? You're going to be like God to Pharaoh. Aaron, you'll be my spokesman. I'm unable and I'm unworthy, but you want to know something? I'm called. God has a calling on my life. And if I have the first two understood well, then I can receive the third. Because it won't be because I was so great. It won't be because I am so gifted. I have nothing. Everything I have, God gave to me. So why would I ever boast? You know, I have a calling in my life. Here we see Moses really was given divine authority. And, you know, for him, he would be able to wipe out Egypt. He would be able to smash Pharaoh, you know. And that was his position. That was his calling. That was his anointing. That was his christening there, man. And with that divine authority, he would seem like he was God to Pharaoh. That was his position. And whatever position you have, wherever God's called you to be in the body of Christ, you have a divine authority. You really do, man. It's a calling. It's a gift. And whatever you do, invest those you know, talents for the Lord. You are agents. You are ambassadors. You are vessels of God. And it's important for you to know your calling in life. It really is. It's important for you to know your gifts that he's given to you and then to exercise them with diligence to not bury your talents in the ground you know because you think that god is gonna you know wipe you out no man he's given you gifts and you need to exercise them find a way pray away ask the lord to open doors for you but there has to be this calling in your life that you're assured of one of the things that i've been taught and i'm still you know working on this and i i do acknowledge the validity of it is that you've got to know your calling Because, man, the enemy will question your calling and he'll doubt your calling, just like he did with Paul, just like he did with Jesus. 
You know, are you sure you're the son of God? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Are you sure you're an apostle and he's got all these people coming against him? You've got to know your calling. It's so important. And here we see Moses and Aaron, they heard the word of the Lord. You're a spokesman here, Aaron. You're God to Pharaoh. This is where they would be. And from this day forward, they never looked back. They did make mistakes, but they just continued with diligence where God had them. You know, Paul the Apostle knew he was uh, called by Jesus Christ. He heard the call. You know, and when you hear the call, man, I encourage you, make an altar. Write it down. Know that you heard the call. Because then later on you're going to acknowledge that. You're going to need to acknowledge that. And so for Paul it was, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you know, it was never a matter of ignorance or guesswork or wondering what I should be doing in life. No, I know my agenda. And from that point on it was just a matter of obedience. And that's why he told King Agrippa, therefore I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Know your calling. Know where God has you. You have a responsibility to God and to the rest of the body of Jesus Christ to fulfill your call in the ministry. Number four, principles of the ministry. It's kind of cool the way the Lord gives us insight, secrets into what to expect. In verse two, he says, You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. Notice, you know, God is telling them what's going to happen. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. It's important for us to know who God is, to know what he says, to know who we are, and to know what to expect. Generally speaking, generally speaking, you know what to expect, don't you? When you commit your life completely to follow Jesus Christ, is it going to be a rose garden? No. Will there be tremendous trials? Yes. But will there be victory? Yes. And we know what to expect. And therefore nothing surprises us and the victory encourages us because we know what to expect. He knew the Lord told him what he needed to know. When you go, you know, you're going to say thus and thus to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. He's going to resist. But the bottom line is by the time we're done, Egypt will know who I am. And that's so cool when you think of the ministry. You know, we're going to have the resistance. But don't be surprised. God told you ahead of time. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be battles. But there will also be a reward at the end. One day when we step over into eternity and we stand before God. We stand before Jesus Christ there at the Bema seat. We know the Bible teaches that we will be rewarded according to the motives of our work. We know that one day, because of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, that we will step into bliss. Like, you know, Keith was sharing that scripture earlier, I have not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the thought of man 
the heart of man, the things that God has for those who love him. But the Spirit has revealed them to us. We have a taste of what it's going to be like, man. We have some things that we know, and we know this. We're going home. We're going to go to heaven. See, God gives us this because he wants to encourage us. These are some principles of ministry, not exhaustive, but they will help you in the mission impossible as you try to rescue people from the plagues that are coming. Real quick, the last uh, section is the principle of miracles. And it says in verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. Verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. And so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, and so the magicians of Egypt, and they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. I think we need these in order to fulfill the mission. We need to know the mediator principle. I want to be a mediator, small m. I have a mediator, capital M. Principles of ministry. Oh, who is God? What has he said? Who am I and what do I expect? But now there's also this thing I think that's important in the mission, and that is the miracle aspect. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. There's so many miracles going on in, in my life, and I just praise the Lord for it. I, I see so many things happening. I mean, even when I see the sky or flowers or clouds and the creation of God, I just think, man, Lord, you're so amazing. I see, you know, people I, I love, my my. my family. I see all these things happening, answered prayers, and I see the miracles. And all this is this confirmation that God is real. One miracle that's kind of cool that probably you guys can relate to is right there in verse 6. It says, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded them, so they did. Did you know that when you see somebody obey, when you see somebody get saved, when you see somebody suddenly become sold out and consecrated, that that's a miracle? That's the greatest miracle, I think, don't you? That's the greatest miracle when you see somebody get saved and they're all around us. But here's the problem. A lot of times we don't see because our hearts are hard. See, we need to know that God is real. God said, I will give you a sign. And God gives us signs and he gives us his confirmations that we may continue in the spiritual work in the spiritual kingdom. Here we see Moses and Aaron, they did according to all that God had commanded them. And that's such an awesome thing. Man, we cannot obey apart from the power and the miracle of the you know, Holy Spirit working in our life. That's a miracle. But also we see not only the consecration, but this confirmation of the whole thing. You know, Moses and Aaron, they went into Pharaoh's presence and you know they gave him the message from the Lord. And then Pharaoh says, well, show me a sign. And so they cast down the sign. They cast down the rod, just like the Lord had told them to do. And it says, and it became a serpent. 
That's a credible miracle. Think about it, man. You got this rod of God. You throw it down. It becomes a snake, maybe a cobra. In Egypt, cobras were worshipped. Very significant in their nation. But then what ends up happening? Well, probably what happened was they heard that Moses and Aaron had done this miracle in front of the presence of the children of Israel. So they were ready. And so here come the, the, you know, the magicians, the wise men of Egypt. According to 2 Timothy 3.8, it was Janus and Jambres. Maybe there were others. And they, I don't know for sure if it was a satanic miracle or if it was a sleight of hand, but they cast down their rods and so their sticks become snakes. And so you're thinking, well, who's greater? Well, it's pretty obvious, huh? We see what happened. All of a sudden, man, can't you just picture it? They're just like, it's like spaghetti, you know? They just start sucking them. And, 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 and Pharaoh had the sign in front of them. Their rod just swallowed up all my, all my rods. But, verse 13, his heart grew hard. He had a hard heart. And as a result of that, he would suffer tremendous, tremendous consequences. He would bring it upon himself. He would lose his son. He would bring it upon the people. And you know, real quick, and as we close here tonight, you know, in the ministry, God has given us many miracles. But this one miracle of Jesus Christ dying and rising from the dead is the great miracle. It's the great sign. It, it, you know, it sets us apart from the Quran or, or, or Islam. It sets us apart from you know, Judaism because they don't have the completion of the Messiah. It sets us apart from Mormonism, Hinduism, or all the other plurality of religions in the world. There's no one else who has ever died and risen from the grave. Buddha's still in his grave. You know, Muhammad is still in his grave. Their corpses have rotted. But Jesus Christ died, and on the third day he rose again. And if, real, if you want to really get blessed, read 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, and circle verse 54, because I like this. This is what happens here. It says that, you know, through the Lord, his work there, that, well, let me read it to you, because to me, I think this is kind of a typology of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says in verse 54, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. See, when you read the chapter here, and some people believe this is probably one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible, you see here the resurrection chapter. The resurrection chapter. And Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so what happens? Death is swallowed up in victory. Victory. You want to know what the snakes symbolized in Egypt? Immortality. But see, Moses' snake swallowed up their snake, and therefore we see the fulfillment there, the type there of 1 Corinthians 15. And so we're on this mission. It's impossible without God, but it, it's just so 
cool, so fun, so possible with God. And all these things come into play. But I do pray that we would remember the principle of mediators, the principles of you know, God giving us the ministry, and then that principle, miracles. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, just for the love, the incredible things you're doing in our life, Lord. I, I just sense, Lord, a new work, a new beginning. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the calm before the storm. I thank you for the warning before the war. I know, Lord, the plagues are next. I know, Father, judgment is coming because we have turned our backs on you, Lord. Father, I pray that as we live in these last days, that you would ignite our hearts, Father, to be completely consecrated and sold out to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray by the grace, by the love, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that every single person here, Lord, would know your love, would know who you are, would know that they have a responsibility, they have a ministry, they have a mission. And Lord, together, as a body, as a healthy body who is in love with you, that we would begin, Lord, to just move in that freedom that you've given to us. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. And I thank you for um, just the things that are going on in the individual lives, Lord. And I pray now as we go home and we have all our you know, daily routines, Lord, that we would not lose sight, Father, of the, the big picture, the main picture, Lord, of what it's all about. Lord, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, just uh, baptize us with that fire that we need inside of us. I thank you again so much, Lord, for your word. Your word gives life. Father, your word feeds your people. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.